the 11th Psalm, and I draw your attention in it this morning to the verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a question that the people of God are asking today. What can the righteous do? There seems to be a, a desperation in this question. It nearly seems that there's a panic. What can we do? The righteous you see in this psalm, and indeed in the psalms around it, are disturbed. They are alarmed. They're concerned. This psalm particularly powers up with the next psalm, Psalm 12, which is why we read it. And the sense of desperation is seen there also. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. The saints are failing. They're getting less and less. And the wicked are exalted in every sound. Desperate times. And this question comes out of that. This panic is because of the disturbances of the wicked. Because of the destruction that the ungodly and ungodliness is bringing to the foundations. To the moral foundations and structure of the nations. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So it's in that context of the destruction of the foundations of the people of God are saying, what can we do? There are five things that I would like to bring to you this morning. First of all, the destruction of the foundations. And then secondly, the destroyers. And then thirdly, what the righteous cannot do. And then fourthly, what the righteous can and must do and then lastly what God will do so these are our five points the destruction of the foundations first of all foundation destroying is very serious and very frightening business whenever foundations go good and sensible people get worried they get concerned about that we have had the earthquake in Turkey recently, and it was a major disaster. The ground moved, and the foundations of many of those buildings that collapsed were shaken. It happened below. It was at foundation level. The rock strata was rolling about. And with the moving and the destroying of the foundations, people panicked. They took for cover, they ran out of the buildings, they did whatever they could do. They didn't sit about casually. It led to panic because they knew what the destruction of the foundations meant. It means death and disaster. That's what happens when foundations shift. And any right thinking person is concerned about that the people in those buildings and all around they naturally were concerned for themselves for their children and for their families earthquakes 
instill a panic, a sense of despair, and not to be concerned is madness. We would call someone who didn't worry about earthquakes insane, mad, if they didn't panic in the midst of one. But what I'm saying this morning, congregation, there are not only physical earthquakes in our world. There are moral earthquakes. There are spiritual earthquakes, which are even more serious than physical. The destruction of foundations in our society. And really that's the age that we are in. We're in the age of earthquakes. We're in the age when the order of the world is being turned upside down. When foundations which have stood the ages of the time are now being moved and shifted and that which is upon them being turned on its head. And the people of God who see these foundations moving and being destroyed are disturbed. Now mad sinners are not disturbed. The vast majority just seem to sit casually indifferent to the moral earthquake that is shaking our land and the nations of the earth. The righteous are not mad. They have an understanding, you see, of these things. And we have that understanding from the word of God. It's not because we're superior and just naturally know better than the wicked. No, it's the word of God has given us light and understanding it's God's grace through the scripture that has made us, we humbly said, wise. Those who are right with God through faith in Christ and who have repentance for all their sins, they know what is right and they know what is wrong and they endeavor humbly with the grace that God gives them to do the right and to resist the wrong. And God's grace has taught us this. Evil men do not understand. But they that seek the Lord understand all things. They see. They see when foundations move. They see how dangerous that is to society. And they are disturbed. The Bible says through faith we understand. Faith doesn't make us mad. Faith makes us understanding. And so we, we understand these things and are somewhat disturbed. The righteous are not proud and they look down on others, but they, they know what earthquakes can do. And they are concerned about that. Now, of course, there are foundations that can never be destroyed. We must never think that the wicked can destroy every possible foundation that there is. The foundations of the faith can never be destroyed for God's people. Christ is our foundation. Christ is our rock upon which we build. And we must never forget that he is at God's right hand. 
He is beyond the earthquakes of this world. He is beyond the reach of Satan. He is the foundation that is solid and untouchable. The eternal foundation in whom we rest and trust. We build on him. That rock within the veil. To whom we are anchored. Beyond the world and Satan. A sure foundation the Bible says. And we're not worried about that. We don't have to put our hand on the Ark of the Covenant to steady that. No, that's untouchable and secure. And we just go in and rest and trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. Satan and hell and the wicked cannot pluck us out of the hand of Christ. We're in that temple. And whatever earthquakes are going on below on the earth, we don't have to run out of that temple in a panic. It's not going to collapse. We're safe and secure in Jesus Christ. So we're not worried about that. We're not saying our Savior is shaken to the core and the temple of God that he's erecting is collapsing all around us and we have to run somewhere else to hide. No, no, that's not what we're talking about this morning. That temple is secure. Being built on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. God's true church can never perish. He builds the church on the rock of himself and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. He that believeth on him shall not make haste. He'll never have to run out as if it's an earthquake. So there are foundations that the wicked cannot destroy. No, our concern is not the foundation of the church. Christ and his word. Yes, we are set for the defense of the gospel, but it doesn't depend on us. We are not the salt of the word. Preserving it. We are not the salt of the faith. Maintaining it. We are the salt of the earth. The salt of this wicked world, this fallen world. Preserving its foundations. Preserving it from ruin. The salt of the earth. We're in the place where the earthquakes are taking place. And we have to have a concern for our society. For the world in which we live. And for the people who live within it. And one of the most important foundations of society. Which are being shaken today. And there are many. But one of the foundations that is certainly being shaken is the order of the family and the progress of the human race in its propagation. Marriage, fruitfulness within marriage, the propagation of the human race in the way that God intended it, that needful foundation You see, humanity is a race. And a race must propagate. And it must do so because it's a dying race. One generation comes, another generation has to go. And each generation must propagate. And that's foundational. But earthquakes are rattling that foundation. Same-sex marriage. Abortion, 
transsex. And that's what I call it, not transgender, transsex. Changing sex, which let me tell you is impossible. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's, a, it's the biggest lie being propagated at the moment that a person can change his or her sex. These foundations are being shaken and affecting the human race. And it's leading to a hopeless end. It's leading to death, to destruction. And the destroyers then, well, destruction implies destroyers. I've used the illustration of earthquakes because of the situation at hand in Turkey. But that's a very imperfect illustration, really, because earthquakes are they're kind of natural. There's, there's not a, a, a will behind them. Well, God is wills behind them, is sovereign over all, but we're talking about, naturally speaking, in relation to the earth and not to heaven. We're, we're saying that earthquakes don't have will. They, they, they naturally seem to occur. They don't, they don't deliberately aim. An earthquake doesn't say, I'll hit that place, I'll do this. I'll take down those buildings. No, there's not purpose and direction and pointedness in them. But the earthquakes that affect the moral foundations of society, there is will behind them. There is volition concerning them. There are destroyers. You see, that's what this psalm is about. There are destroyers. David is just saying, the wicked who aim to destroy the foundations. Three times the word the wicked occurs in this Psalm 11. It occurs in many times in the Psalms, either side of it too. And the wicked have will and volition and know what they're doing. And of course, their head is Satan. He's the wicked one. And what's his name? Apollyon, destroyer. Destroyer of foundations. Destroyer of humanity, destroyer of the human race, destroyer of mankind in any way that he can conceive of in bringing it about. That's why we are to be vigilant. He's the adversary, the devil. He devours, he destroys. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies in their destructive nature. And the seed of the wicked are under his sway. And their heart studieth, the Bible says. Their heart studieth destruction. They plan it. They figure it out. They work at how to bring it into being. They work at how to spread it and multiply it. They meditate upon their bed about it. It's not an earthquake, really. It's a revolution. A revolution against God, a revolution against righteousness, a revolution against the moral structure that oppose society. And so the wicked don't do it in secret, and they don't even make a secret about it. They say that's what we want to do. We want to turn upside down the old order. We want to make a better society. We want to make a society of equality and social justice we want to make something better. So we're going to turn it all upside down. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. We're going to allow all of this because we're creating, as they think, a better society. 
a more loving, caring society, as they think. And so they, they don't make a secret about it. They're deceived. A society of social justice, no talk about holiness, no talk about divine righteousness, no talking about the, 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 the moral order of creation, none of that. And this revolution is continuing in the hands of the destroyers, under the destroyer himself, and they haven't finished. He has an agenda, and they have an agenda. And it's progressing. It's progressing very rapidly. Transsex is not the end. There are deeper waters to go into. And it is all leading to the same. Evil men will wax worse and worse. Some of them are the destroyers. And then thirdly, what the righteous cannot do. I think we have to emphasize that first of all. You see, we cannot for a start be careless and casual about it. As if it's not happening. We cannot be like the most part of society. It's only a little minority who's pushing all these things. The most part of society, they just turn a blind eye. They just, you know, they don't want to be seen to be different. They just go with the flow that seems to be at the minute in the media, whatever. And they certainly don't want to be identified with the righteous, with the, with the godly, with the church. And so they're, they're casual, they're unconcerned, they turn a blind eye. But we can't do that. I mean, the very fact that this question is asked is proof that we cannot do that. David is not casual or unconcerned. David is disturbed. What can the righteous do? Now, of course, they're trying to drive the righteous out, to shut them up and to make them say, go, go away as a bird to your mountain. Away off you go, as the verse 1 says. Flee! We don't want to hear you. We don't want your salt. And so they're, they're trying to drive the people of God out from being silent and ineffective. And they're on, the most part are unconcerned about all of this. But we can't be. We can't flee. We can't just go away as a little bird and whoo, forget all about it. In the mountains, away out of it all. No, we live in this society. We're the salt of this society. And we have to be disturbed about it. We have to be concerned. Saints cannot be indifferent. They won't be allowed to be indifferent. They'll have to choose one way or the other. It'll come. You'll have to choose one way or the other. And we can't capitulate. We can't give in to the enemy. We can't, as it were, appease them and please them. You can't capitulate to destroyers. We all have a sense that we're entering dark and dangerous times. Especially in the area of the sexual revolution that has been upon us from the mid-1950s. And parallel with the woke movement and all these other things, there is this growing idea that Christianity is a major cause of all the problems in the world. That Christianity is the major cause of, of the slavery that engulfed the Western world and the Western nation centuries ago. That Christianity is involved. That Christians are the problem and many of the world's woes are to be traced to Christianity. That, that's a prevailing philosophy presently in the Western world. That we are the troublers of the peace and the order 
that we are the ones who are opposed to the social justice. You know, we're in a crazy world, a world, a mad world. It's like an asylum, really. Uh, and the people of God are in the asylum, and they see the mad sinners, and, the, and they tell, tell the sinners, this is madness. But you know what the sinners say? You're the mad ones. You're the nutters. You're crazy. You're a bunch of haters. The problem is with you. You need a change. And what do we have? We have Christians that are doing that. Capitulating. Appeasing them. Pleasing them. That's what's taking place. The reason why I'm preaching this is because first there was the case of the Church of England and its decision to bless same-sex marriages. Imagine even having discussed this. And it was passed in its several levels. The bishops, the clergy, the laity. Passed. And this is a case of the church stooping to please the wicked. To accept this. It's a futile cry for acceptance. And then, parallel with that, the Church of England has announced it will explore alternative words to describe God in non-masculine terms. The word man is becoming an embarrassment to the church. The word father is becoming an embarrassment to the church. Because of the opposition. Because they're imbibing this philosophy. And they're becoming ashamed of the words of the Lord Jesus. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, whosoever be ashamed of me and of my words? Why did he say that? Why did he not just say, ashamed of me? Because he's only known in his words. Ashamed of my words. And one of the most precious words the Lord Jesus ever gave us was, when you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven. He taught us to say that. And here's the church wanting to explore non-gender terms to describe God, and they want to change the word of God, and they want to put in the place of Father, our parent, our, our non-gender parent, now this is blasphemy. This is the names of blasphemy that are upon the head of the beast. This is antichrist. This is wickedness. This is contrary to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I listened to an Anglican bishop and he was embarrassed to defend the name Father. Now it's clear he doesn't believe we have to say that. I mean, if you don't believe, you should leave the Bible, really. If it embarrasses you, how can you stand by it and pretend to preach it? But as I say, this is Antichrist. This is Antichrist. A Muslim, we know where he stands. He's nothing to do with Christ. A Jew, we know where a Jew stands. He's nothing to do with Christ. But an apostate takes the name of Christ and yet opposes him, resists him, fights against him. That's Antichrist. And that minister could not stand by the fact 
Jesus taught us to say, Father. And you can't change that. It just can't be changed. We can't mutilate the Bible. We can't capitulate. And not only did he say, Our Father, there were very good reasons why he said it. Very good reasons, which any minister of the gospel ought to know. It's not just a term here that's changeable. It's a very important term that lies at the heart of the Christian faith. We're getting to the doctrine of the Trinity. Because he's the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're getting to the heart of redemption here. For God sent his Son into the world. So these are important matters. and You you can't capitulate on them. We're talking about the very life of God. The living one. And the conveying of that life to his people. And there can be no surrender here. On the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not ashamed of his words. We cannot deny Christ. We cannot reject and mutilate God's word. And we don't intend to flee to the hills. And to run and to say and to do nothing. What can we do then? Well, what did David do? In the Lord put I my trust. He prayed. He wrote this psalm. He wrote other psalms. And he prayed. Help, Lord. He prayed. And brethren, we pray. And sisters, we cry unto God. And it is as prayer warriors, praying for the world, praying for the nations, praying against hell, praying against the enemies of the gospel. It's in praying that we are the salt to preserve somewhat the foundations. And so we we pray. We carry on praying. And the church must pray. And he professed. I trust in the Lord. I'm putting my faith in God. I'm maintaining my confession of faith in Jesus Christ. We have to confess. We have to say, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to stand where Christ stood. He said the scripture cannot be broken. I'm not going to break it. I'm not going to mutilate it. I'm not going to change it for this society and this world. I'm going to stand back. I'm going to trust the word. I'm going to carry on believing. And we have to do that. Continue our profession, our trust, our faith, our belief. And we have to perceive. We have to see things. We have to perceive the subtlety of Satan. We have to perceive the ways of the wicked. Lo, they they bend their bow. They make ready their arrow. We mustn't be ignorant of their devices. We have to see the hand of the wicked one in it. We have to see that this is orchestrated. That this has hellish design. We have to be discerning and perceptive. As the people of God. David wasn't ignorant. Nor can the people of God be ignorant. And that's why the public ministry in these days is very important to continue to educate the people of God on what is the will of God. 
And so we must perceive and understand. We must perceive particularly God's sovereignty and majesty. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He ruleth over all. He's the most high. We perceive the sovereignty of God. And we perceive that he tries us in these times. The Lord tries the righteous. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord allows us to go through these trials and tests. To see if we'll stand for him. Stand for the truth. See that we'll overcome Satan and all his devices. So we have to discern all these things. And understand what the Lord is doing. And why he allows us to go through these things. And we must see that God is righteous. And we must persevere as well. In our uprightness and heart. We must maintain our uprightness. And continue in the faith. The Lord trieth the righteous. The wicked and him that loveth violence. His soul heareth. And we must preach these things as well. And that's what David is doing here. He's preaching the Lord's in his holy temple. The Lord tries. The Lord judges the wicked. The Lord has his countenance and face upon the righteous. And so he's doing all this preaching. He's warning God's people. He's encouraging God's people. And he's warning the wicked. He's warning the sinners of the fire and brimstone that's coming. It's all in this psalm. So he continues to preach and to warn the flock and the wicked. And congregation, at the end of the day, that's all we can do. What can the righteous do? It's all we can do. Pray, persevere, perceive, preach. We cannot use violence. We cannot adopt the malicious ways of the wicked. We cannot be lawless in opposing them. No, we must war a good warfare. Not after the flesh. Not after the ways of the wicked. We don't have to war after the flesh because you see the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're mighty. We have the word of God. It's all that we need. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. That's what this all is. Hellish imaginations. Wicked imaginations. The land of darkness and deceit. The land of demons and wickedness. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Every thought of man and of hell that is contrary to the obedience of Christ and the faith of the gospel. We fight against it. Not with the carnal weapons but with the mighty word of God that he has given to us. A good fight as Paul called it. A good warfare. Not an evil one, not a malicious one, not a bad one, but a good one. As upright in heart and humble in proclaiming the word of God. To war a warfare by the prophecies that have gone before upon us in the Holy Word. And then lastly, what God will do. He will not keep sailing. Our God will surely come. The God in his holy temple, not asleep, not casual. 
His eyelids beholding, his eyelids seeing, doesn't turn a blind eye, not like the wicked, not like many. His eyelids are very wide open. It's all here in the sand. He's seeing, he's perceiving. And he will respond upon the wicked. Upon the wicked he'll rain. Upon the wicked he'll fire snares. You know what the wicked are doing? They're laying snares. Catch the righteous out. Pull the righteous down. Destroy the righteous. Drive them from off the earth. Laying the snares. There'll come a day. God will rain down the snares upon the wicked. And he'll rain upon them fire and brimstone and horrible tempest. You see the wicked aim at the righteous. That's what it's all about. Get this righteous people away. And aim at all that they hold and profess and hold dear. And bury it and bulldoze it away. And so they aim. They aim at the righteous. They have an aim bow. They know what they're doing. Privily, the Bible says. The word privily here means in the darkness. The Greek uh, subtuagate it translates it in the moonless night. They fire their arrow in the moonless night, in the darkness. And it's a dark time. And they're making it darker. And they'll fire their arrow at the righteous to destroy the righteous. But you know something, people of God? God has a bigger arrow. And he makes ready his arrow. The Bible says this. God is angry every day with the wicked. If he doesn't turn, and he can turn, the wicked can turn, they can repent. But if they won't turn, he'll wet his sword. He's bent his bow. He's made it ready. He's prepared for them the instruments of death. He ordaineth the arrows against the persecutors. God's bow. They fire their bow, but God will always have a bigger bow. And the ungodly need to know that. And you're fighting against the righteous. You're fighting against God. They have to know this. Oh, that they had their eyes open to see this. That God would give them the realization we're fighting against God. We're fighting against righteousness. We're fighting against the Word of God. We're fighting against the Bible. Now, some of them do know that because they willfully resist the truth. They willfully resist the light. It's not that they're in blindness and darkness and, you know, they have no responsibility and no accountability. No, the Bible says they're willfully resisting the truth and the light. God. And that's why God can cast down the fire on them. And that's why God can shoot his bow and arrow at them. And he will. And brethren and sisters, we don't do that. That's what God does. We just shoot the arrows of the word. The text of scripture outside our church. The text of scripture that goes into their homes. That's all we have. What can we do? We can do no more than that. And the rest is with God. So let us not despair. And while we are disturbed, let us not panic. In the Lord put I my trust. Let us pray.